Hey everyone, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon. This is going to be a great episode. We're going to dive into a lot of things, but before we do that, I want you to remember that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, on Spotify. You can always look us up on YouTube, just type in Conversations with Ben Dixon, or you can always go to conversationswithbendixon.com and that leads you to all of the different links and things that you want to follow and you can stay updated with everything that we're doing. This podcast drops every Monday at 7 a.m. So we're going to have all kinds of interesting conversations that on deck right now. So stay tuned. And this week, we're going to be talking about racism and racial reconciliation. I have a very special guest, actually my stepson, Isaiah Don. Isaiah, what's, what's up? Guys? Hey, guys. So excited to be with you. It's an honor. You're excited? I am very excited. He needs to be excited. <laughs> Anyways, Isaiah is my stepson and now mm. adult son, and it's exciting to have a conversation with him. In fact, I think that you're just going to love what we're going to talk about, mm -hmm. uh, number one, because we need to talk about it, but number two, I think a unique perspective, father-son, and also yeah. how uh, our different backgrounds, and I think this will be helpful. So again, we are going to be talking about racism and racial reconciliation. And so listen, as we jump right in, I think one of the first things that we have to do. And these days, me and Isaiah have talked about it. We have to define our terms because half the time when we talk about racism or racial reconciliation, we don't know anymore what we're talking about, right? There's disinformation, misinformation. Right. So what is it that we're really talking about? First of all, when we talk about racism. So why don't you give me a definition of racism? Yeah, totally. And these are conversations too that that we have, you know, just as a family. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's cool is we're just inviting you into some of our thoughts. But uh, the definition classically of racism has always been that if a, you a race thinks that they're superior to mm -hmm. another race. So mm -hmm. you treat someone as inferior. It's a dehumanizing. And I think what's confusing today is the definition has changed. It's not just uh, prejudice, but it's prejudice plus power. Um, so the way that kind of the world looks at it today is that white people have had powers, what, you know, what is the claim, and therefore, uh, because they have power, they have white privilege. And so every inequity, every uh, disparity is discrimination. It is because you partake in the system, because you benefit from it as a white person, um, you are racist. And um, basically, it gives no room for black people to be racist. Like if you talk to somebody who will believe that definition today, they would say uh, that black people can't be racist. And I've actually had conversations with white people mm -hmm. telling me that, you know, as a black person, you can't be racist. And I'm saying, actually, I think with the actual definition of racist, you, anybody can be, right? Mm -hmm. And so it really takes it from an individual sin, um, an individual thing that this person did this thing and that's their choice that they did, to almost like a group kind of thing, right, right, you know? Right, right, right. No, I think it's true. And, and again, because of the culture and the way that it's developed, there's a great book called Cynical Theories. If yeah, you uh, have the time to read it, I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually not written by a Christian. It's written by an academic. Um, if you listen to him on his podcast, super monotone, super boring, <laughs> really brainiac guy. Mm -hmm. And he wrote to the university, and he what he is explaining is how postmodernism has developed sort of what we call critical theory. And of course, critical race theory is one of those theories. Theories right. and the, the way that postmodernism came about through the Enlightenment and all of these various stages of development and how that affects how we see racism today. And so what 
what you're talking about, and we've talked about many times, is racism went from a person feeling superior, right. dehumanizing others based on their race, race, their ethnicity. It moved from that and the sin that the Bible calls racism to now it's sort of this group think. Um, if you're white, uh, you're racist, almost like you're, you're prejudiced, and you need to almost ghost hunt that prejudice right. in your heart implicit and in your mind. Bias uh, implicit bias, microaggression, sort of mm-hmm. it's gotten political. Uh, it's gone extremely deep. It's very confusing. Yeah. Um, we're supposed to question everything in this regard that, that everybody must be. But, but now what we're saying is, is that if you are black or even potentially a person of color, like you can't be racist. So the mm-hmm. sin of racism is actually reserved, culturally speaking, from right. these ideologies to, um, to, to not being possible for some groups of people. Do you believe that? No. Okay. No. Okay. I think it's a, I mean, even if you look at Romans three twenty three that talks about all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, right. right? That we know that, I think even just looking at history, looking at the Bible, and we're going to look at some scriptures today, mm-hmm. um, show us that racism is a human problem. It's a heart problem. Yeah. It's not a, it's not specific to a certain race. And um, I think even too, as you said before, I don't know um, if, if you've read the White Fragility book by Robin mm-hmm. D'Angelo, mm-hmm. Um, and she actually even says, she says, racism comes out of the pores of white people. It's the way that they are. Um, And I think the issue with that, when you read stuff like that, and and what I typically do is if I were to take the word white and put black, like we would all have an issue with that, right? right, But the way the things are today is that, again, it's it's prejudice plus power. So because in their mind, black people don't have power, which is a really interesting thing to say when you think about it across the board as well, Um, but that they can't be racist. And so Mm -hmm. there are things that are said where it feels like, and I imagine like, I think what's interesting from my my point of view is that I'm half black and half white. Mm -hmm. So there's this tension that I feel, um, and I know we'll talk about this, but uh, if I say one thing, it's like it feels like I'm betraying my black family. If I say another thing, it feels like I'm betraying my white family. And I feel like I see the arguments that are in culture today mm-hmm. from both perspectives, mm-hmm. and it, you're not really allowed to have that, right? Like mm-hmm. um, a new terminology that's kind of coming out today is is you're either anti-racist or you're racist. Right. There's no right. in between. Yeah. Um, you know, either you are an activist that is, you know, pursuing, you know, equity, which would be not just equal opportunity, but equal outcome, mm-hmm. um, whatever is de- determined by, you know, progressive postmodernism, you know, that that if unless you believe that, unless you actually take those steps, you are racist. And that's where you get, um, I think recently there was a, in, a, in a business, Robin D'Angelo was teaching one of their slides said, um, try to be less white. Right, I, I even saw uh, which is racist. Uh, which is racist, right? Which is racist. Right. When and you say itself, try to right. be less of what you are, mm-hmm. that's dehumanizing. Totally. Because yeah. what, what does that even mean, right? Because yeah. then at the same yeah. time, um, I read that. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, actually. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I even saw there was a, uh, a like just a post. I think it was last Wednesday in response to um, what happened in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and it was a black writer, and they basically said whiteness is a pandemic. And so they blamed all evil, all the stuff that's happening in the world on whiteness. Mm -hmm. And so you read stuff like that and you think like, again, like I have these 
two perspectives and then, you know, really everything I filter through is as a Christian first, you right, know, right. so I love Dr. Tony Evans said that um, a lot of people, there's really no such thing. You shouldn't say that you're a black, Asian, white Christian, right? Because you're putting your, um, who, you know, your color in the adjective position and you're putting your, you know, Christianity in the noun position, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the noun now has to shape and conform to the adjective, right? Mm-hmm. And so rather than you know explaining myself as I'm a black Christian, that, that means I'm filtering everything I believe through the narrative of I'm black. The first thing before anything, before I'm a, a husband, a, a pastor, yeah. you know, a, a son, um, half black, half white, I'm a son of God, right? right. And so that means right. that everything I believe filters through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important. I love that he said that. And I think it really pushes against like... Everything in culture today tells you that your identity is how you feel or, or, or things that describe who you are, not your character so much or, or not who God's called you to be. Right. And, and let's just be honest, like when you go down that road, no matter what the topic, no matter what the issues, you're going to hide sin. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, you're Mm -hmm. not responsible, personal responsibility, repentance, change, and then following the teachings of Jesus, forgiveness, and uh, loving your enemy, loving all that is just kind of thrown out the window because it gives you a reason not to have to do it. Right. And I think that's destructive. Now, why don't you just... We've kind of jumped into a little bit. Why don't you share Mm -hmm. some of your story? You are half black, half white, raised in uh, most... Or half of your life raised in my home. Mm -hmm. So what's your experience with racism? Yeah, and I think that's great. And I I think this is an encouragement for anybody who's listening to, like, this is what we should be doing, you know, in cultures, that we should be listening to people's story, whether you are a black person, you know, sitting down with white people, like everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important just that we value each other and and Mm -hmm. listen to experiences because they are different, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, For me personally, I think, uh, I don't know how many people listening know my story, but uh, my mom was 16 when she had me and, uh, you know, Ben came along when I was about 11 years old. She was 18 when she had my brother. So we lived with a single mom, you know, for a 11 years for me. And so I remember for a long time, I, I believe like three years before we met you, we were praying, you know, God, give us a dad. We just, we didn't necessarily know what that meant. I never, mm-hmm. both my dad and my brother's dad were not uh, involved in our life. And so we felt like there was a missing piece. We just didn't know how to explain it. We saw other families and, and my mom did an incredible job of putting us in, yeah, in a yeah, Christian no school. My mom's my hero. She's incredible. Yeah. Um, but she, she really like put that into us. And so um, as I grew older, I remember I, I kind of grew up in a private school, so really small. Everybody kind of knew each other. Um, and I remember like one day it kind of clicking for me, like I'm different than everybody. Like I kind of just, I, you, you know, it's funny when you're like with kids, the like there's such an innocence. White. Yeah, mostly white, yep. mostly white school. And so I didn't really think about it. No one really said anything to me. But I remember as like a little kid, I used to think like, especially when we were learning about the civil rights movement, we were learning about um, slavery, all, all, all the things that were happening. I, I remember thinking like, how would people see me in that time? You know, like what? side would I be on? You know, what what, what would people consider me as? And I think that's a really uh, a good picture of what like the rest of my struggle and identity look like. Um, So middle school, high school, uh, I, you know, I started to kind of understand, like, people would say stuff to me, and, I, and I've explained this before, and I know this is something, even when I talk to mixed, any mixed person, they kind of understand it, is you feel like you're in the middle, right? You, you're not, so I'd get made fun of by the black and the white kids, like, you're not black enough. Um, I'd hear stuff like, you're the whitest black kid that I know, right? And at that time, I didn't really understand what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, looking back, is, is, is basically what they were saying is, uh, I'm not the perceived perception of what they think black a black person 
looks or acts like, right? Sure. And so those were words that were said that allowed me to kind of compromise in my faith because if I'm at a party, like, I don't want to be the only one who's not, you know, smoking or drinking. In my mind, that's what it means to be black. And so um, as I got older, I, I remember, and I've told this story before, I think one of the most blatant times where I felt like the what was said was, it, it was about my race, was um, I did the Martin Luther King Assembly, and we did the I Have a Dream speech, and it was super exciting. I was a sophomore. I practiced for it. There was three of us. We stood on these you know podiums in the middle, you know, 2,000 students, so nervous. I did my parts. I did them well, um, and I was excited about that. I got to participate in something. I was part of Multicultural Club, and, and this was our job. And uh, the next day or two, I remember getting on the bus and um, a senior starts talking to me and as, a, as a white guy. And he asked me a question that I get all the time. Um, hey, is your dad black and your mom white? Right. Like that's something I get I'm used mm-hmm. to. And yeah. I said, yeah. Um, and then he said uh, that I didn't belong on the stage because I wasn't black enough. Wow. Seriously. And I remember hearing that and like he's bigger than me. I'm a sophomore. Um, and and he it just surprised me. He was white. He was white. He was a white guy. I said mm-hmm. that. White guy said that. And so I remember hearing that going like, whoa, you know, like in in my mind, especially, I think that was like so transformative for me junior, senior year, because basically in my mind, I said, I'm never going to let anybody say that about me again. You know, like I felt like I had to prove that I was quote unquote black, right? Like whatever Mm -hmm. culture says is black. And I think there was that missing, you know, not having relationship with my biological father feeling like this is the only thing I know about him, um, that he's black. You know, I didn't know, I I don't even remember if I knew his name at the time. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, I just didn't have a relationship with them wasn't in our life. Um, So that's something that like defining moment. I think uh, when it comes to these kinds of conversations too, another important one is like, what's your experience with the police, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's always interesting. I think everybody has different stories, but I would say nine times out of 10 that my, you know, my experience has been positive, you know, to the point where I forgot my, you know, wallet and my proof of insurance and I got pulled over once. And the, you know, the, all I had was the title that had your name on it. Tell the truth now. And he comes back and the police officer's like, hey, it's going to be like some thousand. I don't remember. It was a lot of money. And I'm like, I had just left the house. I was going to pick up my brother. And he said, but I'm going to let you go tonight. White cop, you know, I'm sitting there going like, oh my gosh, like, thank the Lord, right? He Um, saw my name. He saw, yeah. He saw my name. The anointing, the umbrella anointing. He saw that, uh, yeah, Probably that not appropriate for this on. conversation. Yeah. yeah, sorry. But just the umbrella anointing. No, totally. Let me totally. believe weird stuff in my head. The story we tell ourselves. Right. Go ahead. Now, where were you? He mentioned my name, though. He, he didn't have to say he that. Got a, you know, a you didn't have to drop, put in my name was on the title, though. You didn't have to do <laughs> yeah, that. That's he true. did that for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. It was implicit. Go ahead. <laughs> that's, that's true. There you go. Um, but... Uh, so, yeah, no. So fast forward to uh, there was a time when I was in Portland I'm with a group of high school students. And, I remember that. Yeah, yeah you remember? Right, I'm yeah. surprised that you guys let me do that. I mean, I know Stop. there was we at a point. We're not going to parenting sorry. today. This is not <laughs> but, a parenting conversation yeah. today. <laughs> Anyways, I'm down there. There's not really any parent supervision, right? Um, I'm with a group of kids, and, and we're not really doing anything wrong. I just think that was a big group. You yeah, know, we're, yeah. we're in a kind of like an apartment pool area. Mm-hmm. And um, so someone had called the police on us, and um, we were all surprised. You know, two cops come through, and, and I, I noticed at this party that— uh, there were only two black people, being, one being me and one other kid. And, and I think most people were white, maybe a couple Asian kids. But um, when the police came through, they came directly to me and the black guy was sitting somewhere around me. Um, and they had both of us stand up and, you know, 
you know, hands out, all that, kind of pat us down, everything. And at that time, it wasn't really popular. They didn't, so they did that to us, but they didn't do that to anybody else. Wow. So I remember feeling like that was really, you know, there were like 20 other kids there. It, at the time, it wasn't really popular or I wasn't really well known to just like, at least in the circles that I was in, to say like, oh, this happened to me, right? I didn't yeah, really think yeah. about like, honestly, like my main thought in my head was like, I don't want to get in trouble. Like, yeah. I don't want my parents to find out or anything like bad to happen. And so I remember thinking about it though, like getting in the car and, and I took the, the other guy home the black guy and I, I looked at him and I said like we were the only ones got patted down it was just like it blew my mind and he was like yeah this in his mind it was like yeah this is this is normal right this is normal mm-hmm. for me so I remember having that experience and, and there are other experiences where it's it's hard to know because like we're literally talking about somebody's motive so mm-hmm. whether it's you know somebody looks at you different or you feel like somebody treats you different it's hard to know if it's a bad day or if that person actually is treating you different because of your race um, but those I would say are like two of the defining moments in my life that I can look at and go mm-hmm. like yeah this this seems off mm-hmm. you know this seems off and that's the thing I think what people think, especially when it comes to Christians, is is that we believe that there is that racism is solved, as as though that nobody right. ever has any issues, and that's not what we're saying. That, that obviously, like my story, um, you know, there's clear things that we see, and every time that I see any video or anything that comes out, my heart breaks. My heart breaks yeah. for the yeah. person <clears throat> who either is injured or killed, or the family. Like that's the thing. Is there's a wrestle. I understand that. Not at the same time. I also I in our neighborhood we grew up with like I think there were three. Police officers that were there. I felt yeah. personally, I felt safer having them around. Yeah. Um, and my personal experience with them was always great. I used to watch one of our neighbors. They had like dogs, and I remember I used to watch them. It was a police officer, and so I think there's that balance. And and a lot of what's being said today, I think, really is is saying that like racism is the problem. That it's not only just an individual thing that you see on those encounters, right? But again, that it's like it's it's baked into the cake, right? It is all America is, is that, right? you know? And they're obviously, you know, your experience is mixed. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you've had positive experiences. You've clearly had right. what would be racist profiling. Um, you've experienced that. And I think it's important, you know, so you live in the tension. Right. But I think we've got to get back to, and this is something just as a pastor, because I pastor a church and we have all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of people. We have multiple languages, multiple cultures, multiple ethnicities. So this is a a pretty normal conversation. But I think when you put it into the context of what what do we, when we talk about racism, what is racism? And racism, while we've defined it, it's sin. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is why we have to contextualize the problem within the context of Scripture. Scripture yeah. actually tells us that racism is sinful, it's sin, it comes from our brokenness, which yeah. now when we start to contextualize it within sin, we understand where sin comes from, we understand why sin exists, we understand that sin is in the human heart. And so when people start to kind of talk about how you know, the ideologies of today where white people are... Uh, racist uh, and and black people aren't, or maybe other people of color, just because of maybe the we're talking about the historical development of racism, and we're trying to kind of find a way to heal. We're trying to find a way to 
sort of repay the wrongs of the past. The first thing is, is that, look, we have to acknowledge that racism is reality. There is a reality, but racism is not everything. Sin is everything. And there's all kinds of sin. There's sins Mm -hmm. of jealousy. There's sins of greed. There's sins of pride. And these things are baked. Sin is baked into the cake of everything. And so racism is certainly a part of that. I've seen racism. I've experienced racism, not to the extent of many of my black and African-American brothers and sisters, but there is something to be discussed that we have a historical racism that has been a part of our country and really probably yeah. every nation. I believe it's a principality and a power. It's yeah. a, it's a yep. main world ruler that has a level of wicked domination in every nation, potentially. I mean, because it is sin. And so here's the thing. When we talk about racism, I think often today it's talked about culturally, right? based on historical developments um, slavery, um, Jim Crow, and all of that, and then today. It, mm-hmm. It's seen through that filter. But do you think, like in the Christian world ex- ex- especially, because I mean, obviously, if people aren't Christians, they're not going to agree with anything that we're saying anyways. Mm-hmm. But just speaking to the Christian perspective, do you think that we've lost sort of the biblical perspective of racism? Do you think that's happened? I think so, totally. And I think uh, there, and mo- like you said, most of what we're talking about today is from a Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. I do think there is a like I would say more of like a factual, you know, outside right. of the Bible argument for right. what we would say we believe. Um, but yeah, no, totally. I think, and 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 I think it, it comes in different ways. So I think there are really people who are you know just merciful and have that kind of like really care about hearing people's story um you know if someone says like this is what's happening this is you know i feel oppressed all the time like yeah, this is yeah. what i see like i mean who doesn't hear that right and and feel like that mercy and and care but i think again is what we're doing is we're taking our feelings and and, and or you know whatever identity and allowing that to become um, our truth right right rather than is if we see ourselves as son and daughters of God like our filter of everything we hear and everything we do and our response is going to be from a biblical understanding and mm-hmm. so I think that's why it's it's it uh, I'm I'm really surprised sometimes in conversations with people that, especially around these conversations and from the church, and I know we've talked about this, is that you really don't hear the Bible being brought up, right? You hear stories, That's truth, yeah. you hear um, people's so st- ana- anecdotes and things like that. Stories and anecdotes trump the truth. Exactly. Right? exactly. Right? I mean, so mm-hmm. st- one of the ways that theology, progressive theology especially, is developed is because a story actually usurps biblical truth. Right. And so here's the deal. Like, your story matters. My story Mm -hmm. matters. Every story of every person that suffered an injustice, that story matters. But the story cannot have the power to tell the story over everybody's situation and circumstance. And that's part of what has happened today. Mm -hmm. And it's made everything about racism. So like, for example, and I'm just going to bring up a massive one, and this probably isn't going to uh, fully be understood no matter how we do it. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just going to go in. But one of the things that happened when we looked at this this last year and the death of George Floyd, Mm. one of the things that I felt right away was that it was being thrust into the conversation of racism. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like it was... 
Um, it was horrific. His right. death was horrific. Uh, in no way would I justify the police officer mm-hmm. for what happened or how it happened. Yeah. Or, uh, but I don't know the motives of that person. And I felt like, whether I'm white or whatever, I felt like you couldn't even ask, you couldn't yeah. even question whether or not it was racially motivated. You had to believe that it was yeah. racially motivated, period. That was mm-hmm. it. And that was the story. Um, it was signed, sealed, and d- delivered, judge, jury, executioner. It was already done. Don't ask questions. If you ask questions, you're a bigot. If you ask questions, right. you're, that's your white privilege. That's your implicit bias. That's mm. that's your racism that's intrinsic inside of you, baked right. in the cake. Right. And I just thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, you cannot legislate any kind of justice. Right by being told, whether it's groupthink or otherwise, exactly what happened, exactly how it happened based on a snippet. And then what happened is this whole video came out Mm -hmm. of the altercation, which I've watched the entire video. And when you watch the entire video, some of the things that you see, and and this doesn't fit the narrative, but we just have to say it because you need to watch the video. I've Mm -hmm. watched the whole video. The police officers, some of them weren't white, number one, and they were talking to other black citizens that were there at the time, and there was Mm -hmm. an accusation of a crime. Now, again, as horrific as that was, and I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to bring it up, the reality is this is exactly what has happened. George Mm. Floyd's death has been used as a proof text that everybody is racist, that is white, and that the system, systemic racism, and you can't ask a question. And if you ask a question, that just proves that, that, that this type of thinking is exactly right. White privilege is a thing. Racism right. is, in, is implicit in every white person. Mm. And yes, some white people are absolutely racist. Right. 100%. Um, but it's almost like racist, racism is a, is a boogeyman. It's a ghost that you can't quite pin down. Right. It's a thing that's always there, even if, it's, it, that even is if there's a, no actions, even really, if there's no yeah. thoughts, even if there's no comments or commentary, it's mm-hmm. still there. We know it's still there. We know it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we've got a long way to go for unity. We do. I, I believe that. I believe right. that. Um, th- again, in our home, we talk about this. This is normal. <laughs> yeah, normal. Uh, uh, white, black, people of color, that's our home. That That is our home. Sometimes I hear people say, just as a white man, middle-aged white guy, I hear people say, like, you know, uh, white people would only say this if they don't know black people. Really? Hmm. I mean, I've experienced all kinds. I've had my black friends tell me I'm black. <laughs> yeah. That's some of my black friends. And you might mm-hmm. be watching this. You know who you are. You said, man, you're, you don't, they don't even say mm-hmm. you're the blackest white person I know. They yeah. just say you're black, which, by <laughs> the way, kind of informs other stereotypes to a white person. Hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. supposed to, you know, you see, yeah, I, I've got some of my perspectives on people and how we are and who we are from my own friends that now, you know, I just, it's a confusing thing. And so my point is this, is that when George Floyd's death happened, it was difficult for me because I felt like this was a clear picture as to how the future was going to unfold if we weren't mm. careful. No right. longer are we just dealing with the sin, the sin that a man was killed, the right. sin that, um, and maybe the sins that he committed didn't deserve to be killed, but was was he on drugs at the time? Was he resisting arrest? Don't mm-hmm. those things matter? Right. When we talk about justice, doesn't the context of something still matter? Mm-hmm. I mean, have you found that... Um, and I'm not trying to get Isaiah to say what I want, but I mean, this is gen- genuinely what comes to my mind. It's like yeah. context doesn't matter anymore. You either are, are anti-racist 
or you're racist. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really hard just to become a person of justice when you want to dismantle racism, but you want to deal with it as a sin. And we know, I believe 100% the only way to deal with the sin of racism and eradicate it is not by trying to silence it or tell everybody they're the problem, but right. rather through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who forgives sin, the one who delivers us of sin, the one that can change a racist into a reconcilist. Jesus the Christ is the one that when we yield to him, he changes our lives. And I think that has to be, especially for the Christian, it yeah. has to be the conversation. I've, I've said this before. I got in trouble mm-hmm. for one time preaching this. I said, I believe that the gospel of Jesus, preaching the gospel of Jesus, living out the truths of the gospel of Jesus will actually bring healing into the conversation of racism. And Absolutely. I was told when I yeah. said that, I was told by people that what I said was not true. I had people angry mm-hmm. when I said that. This was years ago, not in Northwest Church. I love you guys. But I had that happen. And to hear that, to hear somebody even question that made me wonder, what have we succumbed to in terms of our theology? It's an ideology and a philosophy has usurped our theology. Right. Yep. And that has become a massive problem. And so if you kick back on anything, if you ask about context for George Floyd or any other situation, it's it's almost like you're the bad guy. Have you... Mm -hmm. Is this... Oh, absolutely. Have you found so this true. to be the case? Did you now did you watch the full video mm-hmm. of George Floyd? I did. I did. And that's the thing, like like you said earlier, like this is stuff that like this isn't like you have to tell me. This is stuff I've searched on my own. Yeah. This is stuff that matters to me because I'm in constant circles. I'd find most of the circles that I'm in, I feel like people have that perspective of mm-hmm. like Christians who have kind of adopted more of, of the progressive ideology of today where, you know, black people can't be racist, like the church needs to do this. If they don't, you know, move in this way, they're they're racist, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. mentality. But yeah, no, absolutely. I think for me, like Whenever I see a story like that, mm-hmm. like my first thing is to pause and to stop because you don't know all of the context and context right. does matter. But it makes sense to me in the sense of like the ideology of the, you know, you're either racist or anti-racist. It's it's the, in, in their mind, the inequity that keeps happening, right? Here's this white person who has power right. and a black person who doesn't. And so it just is, again, another example in their mind of what is baked into the cake, as we said earlier. And so it doesn't give us response or even to be able to, to stop and to pause and to ask those types mm-hmm. of questions, because I think that really is important. Any kind of a story or anything like that, you know, context does matter, mm-hmm. right? And so, but when you look at some of the writings of, um, you know, Aunt Ibram Kendi, who writes, you know, how to be anti-racist, he literally says that intention doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That so, and that's that's. I mean, that that really like. There's no way for you not to be racist, right? I mean, we read earlier too, mm-hmm. and so for them, it's just a, a continual narrative. And as a Christian, I think what's hard is we hear there. I think there are a lot of words that are used that are borrowed from the gospel, from the Bible, that feel uh, feel like yeah, that seems right. Like this is what we should do, but we can get sucked in because of you know feelings and emotions and those kinds of things. And I know earlier we talked about even the idea that black people. Can't be racist. I had people, black people, call me African. You know, I had people say stuff so to let me. me ask words you, that, like that. Do you that, feel you like know? that's racist? To, oh, absolutely. Because yeah. it because it's based on race, right? What right. that person was saying to me is, "You're not valuable because you're not me." Yeah. You know, um, so you're not black enough. Right. You're not white enough. And this mm-hmm. is the plight of of somebody that's mixed in their race. Yeah. Right? I talked honestly. Like I talked to, and this is what's. I feel blessed to be able to talk to, you know, lots of different circles. Mm-hmm. I, I get to preach and, and youth groups and different things like that. And 
I, I can tell you every single time that I've shared my story mm-hmm. um, as someone who's mixed, I, there is that same feeling to people who are mixed. And I think that's a real struggle that doesn't really get talked about in, in this conversation, yeah, right? Yeah. Is that because you don't like you, you wonder like what group do you fit in? And it would be easy, honestly. It would be, I get no points for believing and saying, you know, the biblical stuff, right? Uh, Actually, it would you be, lose points. Yeah, I lose points, right? <laughs> like, lose it would points. be easier for me to yeah. just say, like, yep, absolutely. Every single time there's a, you know, white person, a black person, white person's always wrong, white person, you know, white person's always racist, you know, this this kind of mentality. Right. B- but that's not truth. And that's the, that's right. again, like, right. I, I don't filter and see life in myself through my color it's an aspect of who I am but and and it's unique it's not like we don't see somebody's color but I think what's happened is now that's all we see right mm-hmm. that's all that matters your mm-hmm. character doesn't matter um, your choices don't matter everything is based on and we're know, trying to like we're trying to right idea. the wrongs of the past right and we're right. applying a methodology that actually is not gonna work yeah mm-hmm. and the so solution is th- so work. my concern again um, is not coming through me being uh, a conservative Republican right. who's trying to combat leftist ideology and critical yep. race theory and all that. I don't believe in critical race theory. I think mm-hmm. it's a terrible idea. I, I think it um, it has its own sin within it. I think that, uh, but I do believe racism is, is a sin, and I believe yeah. racism needs to be addressed in mm-hmm. all of our lives. Yeah. And I believe that there is a sense in which we need to bring healing. And some of, for some of us, it's not that we're. I, I necessarily feel like I'm the bringer of the healing. I think right. there's a sense in which I need to listen and I need to learn, I need to pay attention, but Mm. I'm a preacher of the gospel, so I can't help but preach forgiveness and healing, and God has made all things new, and Mm -hmm. all of those things. So I'm unashamedly going to preach what I believe is the path of healing. But I think when you try to right the wrongs of the past, sometimes we swing the pendulum the other way. Yeah. And I think that's what we're kind of talking about. And even Mm -hmm. sometimes you could even hear us talking, and it's like we're sort of swinging out the gate because we know what we're up against, and we feel pushed up against the fence right now because... Because we're trying to share the Bible and we're trying to look at the ideologies of today and how they're pressuring us to believe a thing, say a thing, think a thing, post a thing. And and I think what has happened is is that I'm I'm like I've stepped back and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna look at the context, just like Mm -hmm. getting forensic evidence. I don't think you can actually bring healing to something until you step back and say, What happened? How did it happen? Now let's apply the biblical principle because right. I know what this was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so as we sort of look at some of these things, I think it's important. One of the one of the things I think I want to talk about before we before we um, sign off here is that there was this challenging conversation starting, you know, last year. It didn't actually start last year, but it was elevated right. uh, with Black Lives Matter, for example. Mm-hmm. So Black Lives Matter is a statement that has really kind of caught lightning in a bottle. It's worldwide now. And it's also a movement or an organization. So however we want to define this, but let's just say Black Lives Matter is an organization, has a website, you can fund it, you can give towards it. Mm-hmm. It has leaders, it has, uh, it has a, a nonprofit status, all of that is true, but then Black Lives Matter is also a statement. Right. And so I've actually said this before, and I, and I would stand by this, I've said, I don't support Black Lives Matter as an organization, right. but I do support the idea that Black Lives Matter. It's mm-hmm. more than an idea, it's a truth. People right. that are Black matter. And so sometimes people will combat the movement of Black Lives Matter by saying all lives matter, you know, and blue lives matter. Right. All, all lives do matter, and mm-hmm. Black lives do matter. So we're emphasizing Black lives where there's this sense of like, 
um, of wound and, again, trying to right the wrongs of the past, there's a, there's a fresh emphasis on this. And so, of course, like, if, if somebody asks me, where, where, what's your perspective? I say, black lives do matter, 100%. Right. But the reason that I'm not posting and hashtagging is because I watched everything happen over the summer, yeah. and there was this um, idea that because of some of what we're talking about, that you can loot and you can riot. And then it was right. like, well, the people that were behind Black Lives Matter didn't do that. Well, I don't know who did what, you know? Right. So I'm not here to say who did what, but I am here. I, I do think this is important. I saw a lot of people protect this um, idea that in the name of this movement, right. all of these things can be done. Right. And, um, and, 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 that, and that's normal. Then that's, that's, you know, uh, not protest, but even riots are mm. the language of the unheard. And so mm. this was a level of rioting that hasn't stopped. By the way, it's still yeah, going on in Portland today. And yeah. uh, it's amazing to me how like s- several wouldn't condemn this. They wouldn't speak against this. They wouldn't say anything about it. And and then when you get to like the riot on the 6th, which again, mm. horrific, right. terrible, don't agree with what happened. I'm not al- allying myself with any kind of um, conservative militia or right. nationalistic perspective. But it's it was almost like, I think... The, the the same principle needs to be applied Absolutely. to one that it does to the other. Right. And I think being reasonable and fair-minded, which is how you apply justice, right? You have to understand what something is, what happened, and then what are the principles that we apply to achieve yeah. justice. It's just fair-minded and reasonable. And so I've been, you know, in conversations where I've said the reason I don't support Black Lives Matter as an organization is because when you look at the leadership, the structure, the vision statement, the mission... Um, and even the curriculum, I've read some of the curriculum that's going into the public school system under the guise of Black Lives Matter hmm. and sort of to right the wrong of this right. inequity. Um, it's it's not just about black lives. It's about LGBTQ um, activism and yeah. agenda. Kind of intersectionality. It, it, this idea that, you know, God's design, Genesis chapter 2, man shall leave his father and mother and, and cling to his wife and the two shall become one. God's design of man and woman, the two coming together, uh, the nuclear family, from that comes children. I know not every family has children, but the point is, is that all of us were children at some point. So right. family did matter at some point to every person that exists because right. two did have to come together for someone to be born. So whether you have that same nuclear family or not, a nuclear family is God's design. And so any organization that comes against the idea of nuclear family, I can't support that just as a biblical Christian. Absolutely, and yeah. that is Black Lives Matter. So they actually are not just black lives. It's actually any type of discrimination that goes under that headlines and their version of discrimination, when in mm-hmm. reality, I hold to... Um, and I don't believe in bullying. I don't believe in racism. Right. I don't believe in any of that stuff. And I think there is a way to hold a tension between saying, I don't agree with an organization's mission and vision because it is anti-Bible. It is anti-Christian. It is, it is anti-God. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying every sentiment that comes out of that right. doesn't have anything to say about maybe what is right. right. And so there's this tension. Do you, do you have the same tension that I have? Absolutely. And what's that been yeah. like for you to kind of think through Black Lives Matter? And the, I'm sure there's been a lot of conversations and questions just around this one thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, again, it's another thing where like 
uh, I don't get any points <laughs> for saying what I believe. Have we but... lost a lot of points already? <laughs> yeah, we lost a lot of points. Negative. Yeah. The, la- um... the label machine comes out. <laughs> yeah. Conservative. You yeah, know, right. this person. You know? And that's the thing. It's more. It's more complex than I that. I want to buy a label machine and just label people. <laughs> oh <my gosh>. you know? <laughs> the label machine is out. Oh my god. Go ahead. Um, but no, I've actually had people ask me, you know, like why didn't you go to certain Black Lives Matter things and. Um, and I said, well, why, well, you know, why am I expected to go to this? I just wanted to see, like, what their thought was. And literally someone said to me, it's because you're black, right? And I was like, wow, I've, that's pretty— it signs e- you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. Like, signed up. I guess black people are monolith is what they're saying, right, is, is we all believe the same thing. And I, I think that's where some of, like, the group identity, group mm-hmm. theology kind of stuff, it takes away the individual, all of that. But um, my issue, too, is when you look at, like, you know, if you go to your website or, or, or ours, like, it literally tells us— who we are and what we believe, right? right? And the same thing with Black Lives Matter. And so when you look at, you know, some of the founders and they say things like, I'm a trained Marxist, right? right. And you see the ideology like steeped in that and you, and you know, like you look at history and you see like what this ideology actually led to, you know, millions of, you know, deaths of millions of people, right? People, um, ins- we're talking about like Marxism, Marxism has literally led people to be murdered, killed, yeah. imprisoned, uh, enslaved. Because no I one mean, gives up their pro- you know property what, willingly. What country that went is was Marxist in its ideology that has ever succeeded in benefiting yeah. its people? Do you know every single place where Marxism has been tried, Christianity has been uh, per- oppressed, persecuted, completely and completely blocked, blocked out. out. Yeah, completely blocked out. So that's and, why and I'm surprised as Christians. Right? Like, look this stuff up. Once again, you're not going to hear about this. You're not going to hear that the founders of Black Lives Matter have literally said we are trained trained Marxists. They are mm-hmm. LGBTQ activists. I I've read the curriculum, and the curriculum right. is not just about uh, black lives. It is fundamentally about transgenderism mm-hmm. and trying to get everybody else to say a certain thing, think a certain way. Right. Um, and what we're trying to do is solve somebody's internal problem by never saying anything in order to cater to how one group of people thinks these people think. Right. When in reality, we're not dealing with things in truth, we're not dealing mm-hmm. things in relationship, and we're not actually helping people come to terms with the fact that people disagree as well. Right. I'm on the side of healing. I'm on the side of condemning racism. I'm on that side. But in that, it does not have to look like how often it totally. does. And I think or that was the tension, right, for a lot of people look. was like, what do I do? And, and and I think there was no, I mean, we would all agree, like, there's a difference between a protest and a riot, right? Like, Absolutely. we have the freedom to be able to protest things, yeah. right? Like We're Protestants, so we're Protestants. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so, it, and that's not what we're saying. I have incredible friends that went to some, you know, some of these protests, sure. yeah, right? Me too. And, me too. and people who showed up after the rioting to clean up, like that to me spoke volumes, right? So that's not what we're saying. What we're trying to draw differences is like, is when we say Black Lives Matter, a lot of Christians are not sure where they are supposed to land. Mm-hmm. And so for me, as a black person, as somebody who's mixed, I look at it and I and I see a lot of the things that it's missed. You even brought up too that, um, and this comes from Marx, is, is the idea that like you have to break down the family, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, and you look statistically, I think it's 70 something percent of, you know, black kids are born without, you know, the father present. Right. Um, and that's just, you know, increased over time. And and so for me, I look at that. I'm part of that statistic. Right. And I think, like, why is this celebrated? Right. Why? And, and I think the biggest critique and a lot of people have said this about Black Lives Matter is it doesn't talk about all the things that happen to black people. Right. Like you, like you brought this up earlier, how there are things you can't bring to the table in conversation. I think if we really are going to say the Black Lives Matter and they do, like, why aren't we talking about abortion? Right. Where in certain states, 
you see, I think it was New York, where there were more black babies that were aborted than were born, right? Or even I, I Margaret think, Sanger. I mean, we don't even talk about Planned I mean, Parenthood. It, but yeah, oh, absolutely. Margaret Sanger she was, was a racist. Eugenics. Yeah, she, she. We're supporting an organization that literally was birthed in and, yeah. racism. Margaret yeah. Sanger, look her up. The founder of Planned Parenthood was racist, mm-hmm. and her primary and goal, don't know that, right? her primary goal, was literally to off black babies mm-hmm. because she looked at she them as more a merciful plague. To do that, yeah. To, and so yeah. this is one of the reasons why a conservative, or just me as a Christian, not only do I disagree with abortion, and I think I think it is, you know, uh, fundamentally it 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 is the slaughtering of babies, even if there's good well-meaning people who aren't mm-hmm. believers or don't believe in Christ that are not looking at it that way. I understand that, but this is what it is. But what's amazing mm-hmm. is, is that it was it was born in racism, and people don't realize that's why Planned Parenthood start, started and are often in lower-income areas. Right. Right. I mean, it's just, it's horrific. Like, oh, yeah. Don't I mean, talk, the number... Isaiah, don't bring this stuff up. <laughs> yeah. Don't bring this stuff up. I'm going to get in trouble. Well, here's an issue, too. No, I'm, I don't care. I actually don't care if I get in trouble, because this yeah, is Yeah, right. That, I mean, we just, we got to be, just tell the truth. Stuff. We got to tell the truth. Can, can, now, let me, let me, we don't have a lot of time left, okay? Totally. And I feel like we need to do number two. Uh, if you'd yeah, like absolutely. us to do number two, actually, we want to do one on critical race theory and the difference between social justice and biblical justice. And there's a great book that I know you've either read it or you're reading it, but I've given this book away. It's called Confronting Injustice Without yeah. Compromising Truth. Great, mm-hmm. great book. Uh, I really highly recommend that. Um, I highly don't recommend White Fragility. I highly don't recommend that book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you read it, just read it. Uh, yeah, uh, I read it to uh, kind of understand, like, yeah, what yeah, are people totally. talking about, right? What is... is that? I want to make sure that I understand, like, the perspective that is out there, you know? Is that a thing to, like, not recommend books? Like, here's my not recommended <laughs> I think list. you not recommending a book is going to recommend it. I think people are really like, I, I, I got to go see this I now. Know, I, I got to go read this. But yeah. it, I think it is helpful to understand, like, what is being said and, and where the theology and that kind so, of thought... Like, let, let me from. let me go down this road for just a second because I think we're just going to have to do part two, part three. Um, one of the things that I think is misunderstood. So I'm I'm conservative. Uh, I'm 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 try I try to be you know founded grounded on the Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian, and so sometimes I find myself disagreeing with my conservative brethren. Yeah, and not always about what we believe, but how we execute what we believe. Yeah. So, for example, I, this is the tension that I have. As a conservative, I don't align myself with Black Lives Matter as an organization. I have no problem saying Black Lives Matter. I do mm-hmm. care about healing. I do condemn racism. All of that, amen. I don't agree with the group think, and I don't believe in this implicit bias that is swaths over every person and, right. and trying to right the wrongs of historical racism in America. Like, I have, okay, I've clearly articulated some of that, so have you. Mm-hmm. But here's another issue that I have when it comes to that, because it's, it seems like you start to ally yourself then with extremists on the other side. Right. And right. the problem that I have is is that sometimes people are so anti-Black Lives Matter and they're so mm. uh, in their conservative uh, perspective or, or whatever that might be that that it doesn't feel like they're actually interested in seeing healing. It doesn't right. it doesn't seem like they're interested in sitting down with people that don't look like them, mm-hmm. um, act like them, or talk like them. So one of my great concerns to my conservative people that are listening is that. If we're anti, are we for? Are we for right. healing? Even yeah. if we're and, and we're anti-racist, we're for healing. And let's say we're anti-critical race theory. I'm against you know aligning myself with these organizations. But are we for the right things? Yeah, and that's, that's part great. of that's part of my um, tension right now is is that I've seen so much of that is that it, it's just all about combating. And I think I think a lot of people feel like they're in a defensive posture. 
right? Because it's you're being forced to believe this. You're being forced to say this. I think there's a place where we can be free not to agree with certain things, but we've got to make sure that we are passionate, right? Don't yeah, you think? I mean, absolutely. passionate. And one of the things I love about Isaiah is that not only is he well-read on this, not only do you have an experience with this, but you also talk about it to your students. Now, tell yeah, me, absolutely. Just let's just close maybe. Why don't you tell me um, some of, as a youth pastor, you've talked to your students probably predominantly white, mm-hmm. not all, but there's, you know, so you have some people of color, you have some white. Um, as you've talked about the issue of racism and wanting to bring healing and wanting to do that through the lens of scripture and the gospel, what have been some great things that you've seen in wanting that to come about? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And I think it's really important to just, as we talk about this, like we, you know, using scripture and, and, mm-hmm. and you brought up a great point that I think a lot of times conservatives, and we brought about it in the, in the beginning, is we can, you know, criticize the other side for not using Scripture, for right, not, right. you know, speaking about it. But we also do the, you know, we could do the it same can thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so it is important and, and, and I, for us to be balanced, right? That we, I can at the same time hold a view that I don't agree with the theology or, or what's being talked about from Black Lives Matter, but at the same time, I can love people. I can show up at places and care for them. Like, yeah, absolutely. My, my my Christian, my you know, my identity as a son allows me to do, to both sit down with police officers. I did this, yeah, and yeah, and to too. ask you know their story, and at the same time sit down with you know people that I know who have also um, had experience you know racist experiences from the police, and I can love both of them. And I think today's culture tells you you have to be one or the other. But what I love, and, and I taught our students this, is I think one of the best examples of this is in John chapter four, yeah, right, yeah, where Jesus uh, literally goes to Samaria, and it says he had to go through that way, which he, we know he didn't, right? Like because most Jewish rabbis would go around, most Jewish people would go around, you know, route, yeah. the long route because they didn't want to run to anybody mm-hmm. who's Samaritan. And I love the Samaritan story because it is me, right? Samaritans were mixed; they were mixed breeds, Jewish and you know Gentiles, right? And so they were looked down upon. There's about 800 years or so of this racial tension, if you will, between Jews and Samaritans. And it says Jesus has to go there. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Jesus was willing to go to that place. And that's what I encourage my students is that I want to challenge you on both sides. If whenever you see a video um, like you, any kind of video that, you know, with a, typically a you know, white police officer and a black person, um, whoever you side with, I want to encourage you to go to the other side. Who are those people that you avoid? So for instance, if you watch and you see, you know, the black person and you say like, this is automatically racist, like that's kind of your perspective. I really want to encourage you and challenge you to go sit down with police officers, to go on a ride along, to ask questions. Um, I think a lot of the times the animosity that we has comes out of not even understanding people, right? It develops um, a judgmental sort oh, of totally. labelistic attitude. Yeah. Totally. It's because you, yeah. it's because of ignorance, right? You yeah. don't know that it develops person. prejudice. If absolutely. not racism, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and then and then the counter side, right? Like if you watch that video and you say the police is right, you know, you, right. that's your side, you too, you need to go sit down with black families and people of experiences and understand yep. story. And then and, and that's the thing. Like I I don't see a conflict in that, right? Mm-hmm. As a believer, I see this is exactly what Jesus did. And so when he sits down, and I love it, he's at Jacob's well, which is like common ground, right? Mm-hmm. For Samaritans and Jews. Like they love them some Jacob. They all love right? Jacob. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus meets her there. And I think that's the thing. Like, let's find some common ground with people. Right, right, what, right. what are where are some places that we can understand with one another, like and and come to an agreement on some things? But also what I love about Jesus is that he asks her for some water, right? 
And she's the one, she's the one, she says, you're a Jew, right? Mm -hmm. So she's the Mm -hmm. one who brings up his race. And that's the thing is like, when you have conversations like this, people are not automatically going to receive you, right? Um, But here's the thing, Jesus didn't have to change who he was to reach people, right? There was something about him that she knew, not only is he a man speaking to me, but he's a Jew. Um, And he says, he wants to share in her cup. And I love that. I think that's, again, is like, we have to, um, and I believe you brought up verses like this too, is is we have to weep with those who weep, right? Mm-hmm. We have to, uh, and, you know, Galatians rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Like carry one another's burdens and so yeah, fulfill the, heart, the law of Christ. Right? Uh, uh, How do you carry a burden of another if you don't if know you the don't. burden? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think John, or yeah, John chapter four is a great example, but can I read another scripture real quick? Yeah, yeah, go before, ahead. Um, 2 Corinthians, I think, is a really great scripture as we talk about, like, so what I encourage my students in is to become racial reconcilers, mm-hmm. right? I I personally believe that uh, as Christians, as ones who carry the gospel, uh, I think we have the, the the best solution, right? There are a lot of solutions out there. There are a lot of people who are saying that they have the solution, and I think Christians should know and stand in confidence that we have the solution, right? That's right. Amen. Um, so check this out. I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 15 through 20. Um, it says, He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. I think that's so powerful. Yeah, another translation says from the flesh. Exactly. Yeah, right. We stop mm-hmm. seeing people merely from, from the our flesh. point of view, right? Yeah. We get a God view of things. Yeah. And it says, at one time, that's we good. thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Mm -hmm. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone, Mm -hmm. anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back, right? I I, I say to our students that I think the greatest divide is not between whites and blacks. It's between us and God. That first has to be solved. Reconciliation between us and God first. And then we move out of that. And then it says, uh, God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciliation reconciling people to him. Uh, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So that's the thing. Today, uh, today's, you know, ideology would not allow me to forgive the the cop, would not allow me to forgive uh, the guy that, you know, the white guy that said that, would not uh, allow me to forgive, you know, what people have said. It doesn't even allow for there to be forgiveness, right? There's automatically, uh, I'm the oppressed, you're the oppressor. There's no relationship. That's the only relationship that we have. And we know that... that doesn't create space for a relationship. That's the difference, I think, is there's a forgiveness. There's a there's an idea that says, I'm going for the person's soul. I want, I want mm-hmm. them to know Jesus. Like, literally, as Christians, we are called to love our enemies. Yeah, that's right. right? Like, that, that, that's, I, I'm not hearing that a lot. Like, people aren't talking about loving your enemies. And forgiveness. Like, that's radical, right? It's radical yeah, yeah, love. Yeah. It is. Um, and, and I just don't, I don't hear that. But then at the end, he says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ in back. Ambassadors, and this is a part I think is really important for us as Christians to hear. He says, God is making his appeal through us, mm-hmm. right? We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I think this is such a great picture of us to be racial reconcilers, right? That we have been given the power because we've been reconciled with Christ. And we said this earlier that racism is a it's a, a human heart problem, it's a sin problem, right? It's not the only thing that is out there. And so how do we solve it? We, Jesus has solved it on the cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see at the end of John chapter 4. I know I'm talking a lot. I'm just we 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 getting into it. Growing. But He's John flowing. chapter 4, do you guys see He's like flowing. at the end it says that, so the woman she goes 
to uh, uh, her people. She says, come meet the man that told me everything yeah. I ever did, right? They bring them back. And in, and in 24 hours, Jesus literally turns this racism on its head. And what I love is the disciples, so the disciples see this woman, right? And and they say, like, why why is Jesus talking with her? But right. they don't ask. And I used, I used to think, like, the main purpose of what they're saying there is because she's a woman, right? That men and and and, and the different and you know they didn't weren't able to kind of have these kind of conversations, but you see Jesus had a relationship with lots of different you know women where he loved them and had a conversation like this. But I think their specific thought was why is he speaking to a Samaritan, right? To her, right? And then here, and I love uh, Dr. Tony Evans says this too. You see uh, this picture, and Jesus is talking about the harvest plentiful, the workers are few, you know, and and this this whole city is coming, right? This group of Samaritans with these Jews that have been, you know, racial tension for all these years, right? And you really either have there's going to be a, a a race war or a revival, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the options, and Jesus gives this opportunity for the disciples to take part in this. Mm-hmm. And so what started as in the beginning, like who are you? You're a Jew and I'm, you know, Samaritan, it ends with Jesus. They like, can you stay the weekend? That's right. You know? And I think like that is what our story is supposed to be. You know, go, be willing to go to the other side. Those people that you, you know, block yourself from, whether it be, uh, you know, you stay away from liberals or you stay away from, you know, Democrats or Republicans, like whoever is on that other side, you as a Christian do not, you're called to go to that other, you know, those people try to meet on common ground and then be people who, you know, execute God's will? Are you willing to hear other people's story and then walk with them in the midst of that? No, that's really, that's really powerful. I mean, I, I guess we'll close by just saying, uh, when you bring up that Jesus and the gospel are the means by which we actually bring about healing in this area of racism, I, I think to me, the racial reconcilist is Jesus. Yeah. The story in John Absolutely. 4 is Jesus could do what the Samaritans couldn't do, what the Jewish people couldn't do. Jesus is always that center person. His gospel today, Jesus physically isn't with us, but by the Holy Spirit, he's with us, and through his message, he's with us, and we continue his message and his ministry. So when in that story, Jesus is the central person that that obviously diffused race war and brought people together. It was revival. And I believe as the people of God, if we point to Jesus and he's that center person, racial reconciliation will happen. I think the pressure on us to be these racial 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 reconcilists, come on now, (laughs) I can't even say it right, so you know I'm not going to do a good job. But for us to have the pressure to do the things that maybe we can't do, whether you have black or white or Asian or Hispanic or Native American, to right the wrongs of the past, only Jesus can forgive sin. Mm-hmm. To be able to make somebody feel comfortable when they feel uncomfortable, only Jesus can actually affirm someone's identity. Right. I mean, we want to help facilitate this, but in reality, all we're doing, we got to point to Him. Mm-hmm. And as we point to Him, just like He's the central figure of that story, He's the central figure of ours as well. And Absolutely. He's the one that Amen. brings the release. He brings forgiveness for sin. He brings healing into our hearts. He affirms our identity as children of God. He brings us together, and then He commissions us and says, go and make disciples of all nations, right. baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Teach them, all nations. So the call for us is not just to make people feel comfortable in their own skin. It's to point people to Jesus where he heals everything. And then whoever we are, whatever our color of skin is, we're comfortable together, coming together, 
because we're following him. And I, I, I think there's a lot more we could talk about, but I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for I having me. I love you. This is great. Uh, he owes me a lot because, <laughs> you know, how it is with uh, your kids. So he's not a kid no more. Uh, what are you, 29? 28, yeah. I was off I by know, a year. Right? I don't even remember. He's been out of the house <laughs> almost, so long. Almost, yeah, yeah, he's been, uh, I told him earlier, I said, they think there's a biblical paradigm to say that kids need to tithe to their parents. <laughs> you know, you tithe to the Lord Somewhere, first. Uh, Somewhere in yeah, second opinions, you cause, know. Because I think like it just stores up, you know. So, But anyways, hey, God bless you. Thank you for joining me, Conversations with Ben Dixon. Thank you for joining me and my son, Isaiah. Yeah. And we look forward to another conversation next week. God bless you.